This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. My name is Audrey Cooper. I'm the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle. And um, I have, I'm, I'm going to share a secret with you. But um, this is our first ever live podcast that we've done here. We don't really know what we're doing. So I need you to be super enthusiastic when we start recording. Um, also because this, is, this will surprise you about reporters and journalists in general, but a lot of them are very introverted and not used to being the ones being interviewed. So they're very nervous. You can tell because they're dressed hella fancy tonight. Hello, everyone. I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle and one of the co-hosts of Fifth Admission. And I'm Damian Bulwa. I'm the Metro Editor at the Chronicle and the other host of Fifth Admission. And welcome to our first ever live podcast recording. So we've been at this for a few months to all, and thanks to all of you in the audience and everyone who's listening, you've made Fifth Emission one of Northern California's most popular news podcasts. So over the last several weeks, we have been focused on wildfire season in Northern California, and we've devoted a number of the podcast episodes to it. That's right. And we've had record-setting days on sfchronicle.com because of these ongoing crises. And that means we've had more new subscribers than ever before coming onto our site. So we've invited many of you here tonight to give you a better picture of what goes into covering these fires, what we've learned, and what's next. Okay, so here's how it's going to work. First up, Audrey is going to talk to a couple of our reporters who are going to talk about what it's like to cover an active wildfire, like we've seen in the past few years. Then I'll be back in the second half to talk to another couple reporters about why we're seeing such extreme wildfires, about the PG&E shutoffs, and what's to come in the next years and decades ahead. And we're going to chop this up into two episodes, so you'll be able to hear the first part on Friday and the second half on Monday. And don't forget, we have question cards, so if you have a question, if we're not doing a good enough job interviewing the reporters and, the, the, and, and, and Carlos, our photographer, then, then you can get us back on track. Sound good? Yes. All right. Excellent. Well, Damien will exit, and you all need to help me welcoming Lizzie Johnson, our fire girl extraordinaire, and Carlos Gonzalez to the stage. I don't know why I, I did that in dress rehearsal, too. I do know your name. You've only worked here, like, how long have you worked here, Carlos? 22 years. Okay, so I should get it right by now. This is going really well so far. Awesome. <sighs> live. See, if it was not live, we could just go back and redo that, but we're not. So we're just going to keep on going. Lizzie Johnson, your beat is wildfires, which we have never had before, and it's a full-time beat. So I think um, as a way of setting the stage, maybe you can tell us, uh, we just had a massive fire, the Kincaid fire, 
where are we with that one and with the rebuilding of the last couple of years fires? Yeah, so the Kincaid fire has been contained as of November 7th, so something to celebrate. Um, 174 homes burned down. It'll be a couple of years probably before any progress gets underway. But if you look back, we had the campfire anniversary on November 8th, so more than 14,000 homes burned down in that fire, and only 15 of them have been rebuilt. So... Oh, the last time you were on, you said 14. So we've so had one, one, more. one more came up one in more. the last week. But yeah, still a fraction. And then even in you know the Tubbs fire burn zone, less than a quarter of the homes have been rebuilt there too. So it's not something that just instantly goes back to normal. I get that question a lot. Like, what do you cover when a fire isn't burning for these communities? The trauma and the destruction doesn't just go away. So you both were at the Kincaid fire for, for a long time. Carlos, you were not supposed to be at the Kincaid fire. So why'd you go there? You have mean editors. Uh, well, no, that, not mean editors. I think we were just um, prepped for whatever emergency might might happen. We had people in place, but unfortunately people, you know, do take time off of work. We were a little bit shorthanded and I got a call the night before uh, the night that it broke out. Um, I was supposed to be on vacation the following day, and uh, but they called me at 10.30 and said, we need you to go, can you go? And I agreed to go, rushed up there, and um, ended up spending about 14 hours up there that night, kind of chasing different leads, looking for people who were evacuating. That was my, that was my job. Um, going up into the roads that you know the authorities had said, these roads are closed, you cannot go up there. Everybody from this point to this point has to leave. And my job was to go up there and see if people had left. So driving up in some of those areas was a little bit tricky, um, you know, just because the, the power safety shutoffs had left all the roads, all the streets blacked out. So you really didn't know what you were coming up uh, to when, until you're rounding a corner and so, it was just hours. So I, I think a lot of people don't know this, but um, when the when the cops say like no more people past this point, that doesn't mean us. That right, according to California state law, we actually have um, the right to go up there to go past police lines um, as long as we don't interfere with Cal Fire or any kind of operations going on up there. Um, as long as we're also properly equipped because the equipment is really important for our own protection as much as to prevent firefighters from having to take care of us uh, if we get injured or if we get uh, trapped or whatever. Uh, we don't want to have them be responsible for our safety. We, we're trained and, and made to take, you know, special CAL FIRE training just for that reason. Just to cut in, when you do show up at those checkpoints, the officers usually have this scary little warning where they're like, we are not responsible for your life. If you go back there, you better be prepared. So, And I also actually did find that there's a, uh, a lot of police officers who are double-checking ID, not just your press credentials, because of looters. So at one point during the Middletown fire near Lake, in Lake County, I was stopped and they actually made me look for another picture ID that um, hadn't, you know, that said the, the Chronicle's name and my photo because they weren't sure if I was, at, people were using fake press credentials to get past the police lines. And I actually was able to get in using my Raiders credential. So it was actually kind of a, <laughs> it was kind of an odd, uh, you know, juxtaposition. They're of, like, no guy thought that right. through and got a Raiders credential <laughs> <Right>. too. <laughs> 
he was at Monday Night Football last night. Yeah. So it's uh, nice to have you with us today. Thank so you. speaking of having all the right gear, I, I asked you guys to trek in all the stuff that you keep in your cars for wildfires. Um, last year, I wrote a an essay that um, specifically mentioned Lizzie and uh, one of our other photographers, uh, Gabrielle Laurie, and um, as you might notice, and if you're in the audience, you can't tell this if you're listening to the podcast, but Lizzie is fairly petite, and, and so is Miss Laurie, and they were, <laughs> sorry, Carlos is not a bigger guy, <laughs> whose idea was to do this live, um, and, and uh, so Lizzie, you were wearing gear that was meant for, for one of the guys. Yeah, it was, uh, my jacket was Carlos's size, pretty much. So if you can picture me showing up at a fire zone, I already kind of have to get across the, okay, where did this petite woman come from? And then wearing a coat that goes to my knees, I got a few laughs along the way. All right, so why don't you show us with our capital money that we got this year, I I think it was $25,000 that we requested from the corporation for better gear. Some people, like you had some gear already. Um, but we still needed boots and we needed different sizes and things like that because we were sending so many, many more people into the field. We need more gear. So why don't you walk us through what all that stuff is in your milkmaid crates? And Also, I'm so sorry. I forgot the bulk of my bag in my car. I just brought my pants and coat, which That's is still okay. very exciting. That's okay because Carlos brought all of his I brought junk. everything. Don't worry. <laughs> Typical photographer. All right, so as you can see here, folks, we have a lovely macaroni-colored Nomex jacket. Fire-resistant, you button it all the way up. Not form-fitting at all, but it works. So the Nomex is, like, fire-resistant. It's fire-resistant, yeah. If you get, like, sparks flying your way or something, it won't burn your clothes. Yes. No such thing as fireproof, so don't rely on it. Um, When you're in the middle of the fire, everything will burn, and we are told that very, you know, distinctly. Yeah, so don't run into the fire. But, you know, if you're a safe distance away and it's flying toward you, you're probably safe. So these are my pants. And you buckle them around the bottom of your feet so they tuck into your boots a little bit. Um, and then tuck them into your shirt like a middle-aged dad fashion. Or maybe that's just my dad, but, yeah. <laughs> Very nice look. So, Carlos, you brought more stuff. When I saw you carrying it into the elevator, my first question was what size shoe do you wear and you had a very long explanation as to why you have big yeah big I um, bigger than normal typically a size 14 shoe but I usually buy extra large you know stuff for um, anything where I have to do emergency work just because in, in a case like being out in a fire you have to insulate your feet pretty well have good quality shoes if you are out there with shoes that are too thin your feet could burn so I buy a little bit of an extra large shoe just to be able to wear thicker socks. It actually protects you better. And every one of these pieces of gear has a specific purpose, like these boots have a steel shank, which prevents the puncture from underneath, because when you're out there walking in all that ash and all that down power lines or whatever, you don't want a piece of metal coming up through the bottom of your shoe and puncturing your foot. Um, These are a higher ankle because the um, possibility of like a tree stump burning out uh, creates what's called an ash pit. And if you step into this ash pit, which you cannot see while you're walking around because the the ash has literally covered over and gone flat. It's almost like water has has gone has rolled into it. You can step into a burning pile of embers. And if the 
ankle height is too low, you can burn your, burn your leg pretty good. So there's a reason why they're thick and pretty, uh, pretty dense you know, soles. Um, Just a side comment. Up until last year, I was wearing my hiking boots at wildfires, which is not advised because I didn't have fire boots. And I remember at the campfire walking through the downed houses at one point, I picked my foot up and had like four nails impaled in the bottom of my boot. So those are really important. Uh, the next thing I'm going to show you is our fire protective helmets with the um, special impact goggles that we use. They have a foam lining that prevents smoke from getting in, but I had some a bad experience on the Kincaid fire. The smoke got in and was actually blinding me for a while, so I went and looked for... I'm looking for a different set just to be able to prevent the smoke from getting in. This is a hard head that you have to wear because you don't know when a branch is going to fall if it's burned or if, you know... I actually, um, let me show you, had a, an almost accident. Um, we were covering the Kincaid fire at the um, Soda Rock Winery, and yeah, a shade structure got picked up by the winds. They were about 50 mile an hour winds, and it, um, the shade structure actually hit me and a couple of firefighters, and um, when it was built, they built it with the screws facing outward. And this thing hit me in the back and tore my jacket open, tore my shirt, and cut up my back. Uh, not too deeply, but enough to kind of, you know, have me a little bit concerned. And this is shortly after a photographer got sent home that night because he dislocated his shoulder on a fall. So these kinds of things, you might be looking in every direction, have the right gear, and you still get surprised. So all these things, helmets, goggles, really play a big, a big part. Uh, this is something we don't want to ever have to use. This is the... Um, the, uh, the shake nickname, and bake. The nickname is a shake and bake, which is probably not probably better than a jiffy pop, um, because it's a safety tent that you actually crawl into if the fire has overcome your position. And typically, what you want to do is find a clear open space, like a meadow where there's very little, maybe just some grass. That's not going to be a long sustained burn, but get out from under trees because that those branches will fall, and you literally dive, put this thing over you, and pray. I mean, that's basically it. Hope that the fire goes over you and keeps going. And there was a firefighter who saved somebody during the early yes. days of the Kincaid fire right. by, by deploying one of these and saving. How many people was it, Lizzie? Two people. And Two. you can check out that exclusive story in this Sunday San Francisco Chronicle. <laughs> I mean, if you were the, the hero firefighter, wouldn't you want to talk to Lizzie Johnson, too? I would. Thick leather gloves. You know, just another thing you have to have. You can fall. If you fall into ashes, you burn your hands, you're basically, you know. How do you shoot with, how do you use the camera with those gloves it's, on? It's tricky, and, you know, it's hard because even with the goggles, I have to hold the, the camera away from my face, so you're almost guessing at the composition and whether everything's in frame or even if it's in focus. And I find myself a lot of times t putting the goggles on top of the helmet just so I can get a, a few quick frames. I never go out without my helmet, and that's, Hard for me because even you know in, in our cars, I only have a, like an inch left of clearance space. So I have to take it off to get in the car and then put it on when I get out of the car. So I have to be very careful about where we park. Um, and even your car is a, safety, a piece of safety equipment. You know that that's kind of a little bit of shelter. Uh, you never turn your car off when you're up there covering the fire because you can actually um, lose enough oxygen in the combustion to prevent the car from starting again. And that was actually a major um, impact on a group from KTLA. There was a news van at the fire in San Bernardino. They turned off their 
engine to do a live shot because I guess they didn't want to hear the sound. And um, they were parked at uh, what's kind of like, it's called a chimney, and it's like a, a quick, sharp turn, with a lot of vegetation underneath, and wind just sweeps up that valley. They saw the fire coming a little bit too late, went to turn on the van to get out of there, and it wouldn't turn on. And they were only saved because a group of firefighters was coming down the road, realized what was going on, threw the doors open, grabbed the reporter and his cameraman, and put them into their truck and raced away. Um, that van was completely destroyed. It melted, there was aluminum everywhere. I actually have a piece of it somewhere, but I couldn't find it. Uh, we covered that fire back in 2003, and it was a pretty devastating wildfire. There was another one in San Diego that hit at about the same time. But you have to be really careful about where you park. We're trained you know, to do like understand um, fire activity and where it goes, patterns, how it's going to burn, that kind of thing. So your car can be a really important piece of equipment to save you as well. We'll be right back with more on the Chronicle's disaster coverage after this break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Let's get back to our live podcast recording about wildfires and power outages in California. This is a little bit extreme, but it's a, it's a gas mask. Because sometimes you're going into places where you don't know where, you know, what's burning. Um, when we covered the wine country fire, um, propane tanks were exploding near us. Little, you know, you don't know what's, what is, there's, you know, tanks in somebody's garage that are blowing up, where there's chemicals, there might be, you know, agricultural chemicals that are burning. So a, a gas mask always helps quite a bit. There's a couple of different grades of them, so I have a smaller one as well. This is a little bit more extreme, but... Um, well, you, you use this stuff, too, not just in wildfires, but in we, there was a period of time where we had a lot of riots. We had to right. buy a lot of gas masks. So right. this is multi-purpose crazy yes, exactly. equipment. <laughs> yeah, I didn't bring the flak jacket because that um, you know, doesn't fit in the box. But um, we do have quite a bit of uh, different kinds of you know, emergency gear for different situations. Um, and it, it is multi-purpose. Um, uh, flash, a flashlight or and a, headlamp, a headlamp also helps. You know, when you're out there, if you get a little bit lost, you know, it can help to signal if you're, if you're, um, you know, in lost in the smoke. So a little bit of light helps. This is like Mary Poppins' bag. Yeah, that's is. a lot of stuff to carry, and your cameras, and my camera. And this right. is the most important thing that you're holding right here. Yes, this this is a radio scanner, and this scanner picks up all of the emergency services uh, frequencies and gives us insight into where the fire is going, if the wind is shifting. Um, we learned in the wine country fire that you can't rely on your cell phones anymore when it comes to emergency services because we used to use the. Uh, Broadcastify app or any other scanner, radio scanner app. And unfortunately, in the first few hours, the um, cell towers, like a hundred of them, burned down. So not only did we not have the 
the radio scanner apps. We didn't have regular maps to be able to find things in the area, and there was no cell service, nothing. Uh, you could barely call out, you could barely text. It was, uh, we learned right away that we had to actually get the true radio scanners to keep up with what kind of firefighting is going on and what activity the firefighters are doing. So they're, you know, invaluable these days. So thank you, Carlos, for showing us sure. <laughs> all of that stuff that you'll never get back into that little milk <laughs> box thing. Yeah. The, camera, so, the cameras are there too, but the safety gear is more important. <laughs> well, the cameras are pretty important. So Lizzie, you, um, I learned this by watching your Twitter feed. Um, you underwent, so we all undergo wildfire training through Cal Fire, and it's usually like, here's the 101 of how to cover a fire so you don't get hurt. You went and and went super deep and actually like, I don't know, are you like an official firefighter now? So you get your red card, which is just a certification, meaning you could go on an engine if you wanted, which I don't really want to do, but yeah, you were in that. So what, what was that like? What did you have to do? So I went through a professional two-week firefighting course with the Marin County Fire Department, and they asked me to go incognito, so no one in my class knew that I was not a firefighter. And I was one of three women in a class of 50 men. So it was interesting. And did they look at you like, why are you going to, what, what, what's up with you? Why are you want to be a firefighter? So it turns out they thought that I was a defensible space inspector, which are, <laughs> they're kind of like the weenies of the fire service, which sounds mean to say, but just like the ones that don't go out on the front lines, they go like, make sure you have 100 feet of clearance around your house. So, um, and what did you learn during this training? So my favorite thing I learned was how to read the clouds during a wildfire, what the different formations are and what it means about the fire behavior, but also how fire moves, how you actually fight a wildfire. Um, they had me do all of the hose lays and everything else that everyone else did. And why, why did you do this? So part of it is I wanted to learn more about wildfire firefighting. I'm writing a book about the campfire, and I wanted to just get a better gist of what it was like in the fields. You're writing a what about the what? <laughs> say it again. Say it louder. I'm Everybody writing, can pre-order it soon. I'm writing a book about the campfire. It's out next year, so you can read it then. Um, but partly for that, and just, you know, as a reporter, sourcing is so important, and, you know, I wanted to get to know everyone in Marin County and it's been great because now whenever I need to contact someone I can very quickly get to whoever it is and get to stories better so those relationships really pay off. So Carlos you um, have been doing this for, for a while going out to fires and when we were talking about this you mentioned that um, that it's actually seems like it's gotten more intense to cover these fires. The fires have gotten more intense but there's a lot of pressure on photographers out there to get the flame shot. So what is it like to, I mean, Lizzie can, doesn't have to get up right next to the burning building, but you kind of do. Yeah, it, it is a little tricky. Um, the access, you know, being what it is, safety being another factor. Um, you know, the one time I have been turned away at a police line was when, you know, the evacuation was going on during the wine country fires. We just couldn't go up roads that people were using to get out. And, and because it was that, critical a situation. Um, the fires are, are the, wind, the wind that we're experiencing now is insane. I mean, we're talking gusts that are, um, you know, 50, 60 miles an hour. It, you know, when we were covering the Soda Rock uh, winery going up, it changed direction on us. And there's a, like five or six photographers taking a picture of the building burning. And we're literally 25, 30 feet away. 
and the fire the the fire was blowing away from us so we felt relatively safe um but then all of a sudden it changed direction and came directly at us and we all had to back up about you know another 30 feet um there's this the immediacy of of the news we're putting out now serves you know not just the long-term view but also uh, giving people a, an, an idea of what's going on so they can get out, so they can then also be safe. So we have to get in there and show video, show photos. And nowadays with our iPhone, we can get in as close as, you know, 10 or 15 feet and get video and send it out. And if we can, it's it's the impact of the image really kind of helps people understand how critical the situation can be. So getting it out quickly, getting in close is really important. There's a lot of guys out there who want to make these dramatic, amazing images of the fires. And, you know, to be able to do that, you have to get close. There's really no, no um, substitute for that um, because people are experiencing this and they're fleeing these fires, you know, as their, their homes are burning. I mean, we're talking about um, when Coffee Park went up, there were still, you know, sadly wheelchairs in the driveway of some of these homes. Uh, we're talking hurricane force winds that were derived from the firestorm itself. And to not show that kind of maybe gives a false sense of of security to people. They don't understand how how critical it is to get out quickly. And I really do credit the um, the authorities, firefighters and sheriffs and whoever, you know, and even and, and even the utilities in some ways for getting the word out quickly. And I think that's what helped to to make this a fire where you didn't see any fatalities because the information was out there and they did something really important with it. I, I can take pictures from, you know, two miles away all day long, but it's not going to show you the intensity of what's going on out there. And um, there's a lot of people out there who, you know, are getting in their um, in their cars, staying in their cars for days, and it creates a um, you know, kind of a broader picture of the of how these fires are working. We're sending up what five people on a daily basis. Oh, I think during the Kincaid fire, we probably had five people up there at any one time. Plus, I know on the Sunday of the Kincaid fire, they they called me in to edit, which is how you know it's a desperate situation because I have no actual useful journalism skills anymore. And it was really all hands on deck. But it was also 24-hour shifts. And we had Roland, who covers commercial real estate, doing the overnight shift, and Sarah Ravani, who covers Oakland. And I shouldn't have even started naming names because now I'm going to forget them, and that's bad. Um, but it, it really is like everybody's out there. And you've got the New York Times out there. You've got, you know, affiliates from The Guardian. I mean, you have, you have you know, publications from all over the world because these, these, these fires have grown so intense. And you know, we have to kind of get in there and make the pictures that really, you know, show that impact. Yeah, and I, and I would say the difference between us and, and the, the national outlets is we have a lot more people because we're getting people information about the outages and where to go. And, and if you're from the New York Times, you can do one story. You don't need a whole bunch of people there. But that's why we're so happy that you all in the audience are here and supporting local journalism because we literally, I, I, I mentioned the the new gear cost $25,000. I did some napkin math. I think the Kincaid fire probably cost us around $110,000 to cover. And like 
we don't talk about those numbers very much, but like the overtime, I had a meeting with finance today about overtime. It was not a pleasant conversation. So, so like our, our, the support is really important. So Lizzie, I want to wrap up by asking you, um, people may not know this about Lizzie, but she was hired here and, and we stuck her in city hall, which was probably the worst time of her entire life. Um, would that be fair to say? <laughs> A different kind of fire. <laughs> yes, a different I kind like of to fire. Joke. <laughs> so, but you have this amazing ability of finding the hero firefighter and finding. Uh, in this last last week, you had the story about the last unnamed, unknown victim of the fire in Paradise. How do you find these stories, and why do you think it's so important to tell them, even when we're not in wildfire season? So I think that's a really important piece of fire coverage after the fire has gone out and the kind of ticker top ticker tape coverage stops is to contextualize it and explain why why we need to care, why it matters. The fact that um so I had a story that published last week about how the 85th victim of the campfire hadn't been named yet because they think maybe he had rushed in to help save this older woman who was sick. And in the process, they both died. But no one has been reported missing that meets that description. And they just don't know who he is. And he could have been a hero. And we'll just never know. And I think, you know, like Carlos, seeing the fire and documenting what that look, looks like is really important. But another piece of it is feeling it and understanding the impacts to people and community and where we're building and how we're building and how people go about putting their lives together. And for me, the way to show that is by finding these stories that put you into the scene or make you empathize with one person and understand what it's like for them. And so maybe then when you think about wildfires or you know where the state is going with our really vulnerable electrical grid and our diseased and dying forests and climate change, that you have a bit more empathy and care and don't just tire out of tragedy coverage. And also, I think the stories you do show how terrible it can be to be a victim, and it also makes people take very seriously those evacuation orders. And now I think during the Kincaid fire, um, and I'll give you both and everyone in this newsroom a little bit of credit for it, I think people know now that it's not something to mess around with and that they need to get out. Thank you both for being here tonight, and thank you for your coverage. This is the end of part one of our live podcast. Um, I want to thank everybody who's listened, and I also want to thank King Kaufman, who's hiding over there. You hear us thank him at the end of every podcast. That's what he looks like in real life. Thank you, King, for producing this episode, and we'll be back on Monday with Damien Bulwa, J.D. J. J. Yeah, this is... This is why it's live boring. was such a bad idea. So, but we're going to splice that out of it, King. <laughs> we'll be back with Damian Bull and J.D. Morris and Curtis Alexander on Monday. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.